0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Carl Robinson, game designer and drama teacher from Brussels. He's also the creator of the smash hit Kelp, which is currently on Kickstarter. Carl, welcome to the binge. How are you doing, sir?
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm um, doing great, thank you. Yeah, really good.
0: It is good to see you again. We uh, we got to we've been talking about this episode for for it's been months. Uh, I think four or yep. five months ago we we're talking. Ran into each other at Essen, which is super cool to actually meet you in person. I got a chance to walk over to the uh, to the booth and uh, and you got to show me the game. I could see kind of the live action there, and it was uh, it was a pretty exciting time. That must have been pretty overwhelming for you at uh, Essen, eh?
1: Yeah, it was great. I was only there for Saturday and Sunday, but wow, it was uh, it was breathless for sure. The moment we got there Saturday morning, it was just like, started demoing and uh, we did that until, well, I did that until Sunday evening. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense, but it was great.
0: I think what's going to be probably hard for some people to believe is this is actually your first published title. Yeah. Like I, I can't believe it myself. This, <laughs> we're going to get into the game in a bit, but my God, when I say smash shit, like, holy cow, is this game doing well? And it is everywhere. So kudos to wonder brow for I wonder bow. Sorry, not brown wonder bow uh, for the job they did on this campaign. But for you as a designer, how long have you been designing for? Like, is this something you've been working on for a long time and you just get into it now or like kind of what's your story?
1: You know, I mean, uh i haven't been a game designer for that long i mean i will soon become a game designer i suppose a published one but i've been designing games i suppose for quite a quite a long time a lot years in fact and uh, looking back i think i've been designing games for forever really um but particularly like the most the, the moment that i realized i was like actually trying to design a ball game was probably 2012 2013 i just got into the hobby just moved to belgium uh, kind of stumbled into the hobby by I got invited to a board game night with some friends. We just played a homemade version of t- Times Up, and uh, and it was good fun. And I thought, oh, I'd, I'd love to check out board games. So like I went to I found a board game shop, and then I found a game called Small World, and then I found Board Game Geek and a review of Small World, and which was on the Dice Tower. And then it yeah. just sort of all kind of unfelt like unfolded from there. And within, I don't know, six months or something like that, me and a, f- a friend of mine were, were like, yeah, it'd be cool to design a board game. Like we tried making a time travel game, um, like four player time travel game. We didn't get far. We made a map. We made a few cards and stuff. I, I yeah. don't think we ever play tested it once. It sort of died pretty quickly. But then a couple of years after that, I I got something called a deck tet, which is a deck-tet. deck of cards for designing games. It's okay. like, well, it's it's a it's a card system, it's like a deck of 50 cards or something in with card system, but with nice illustrations on them. And so I started making a game with that. And I played that with friends, and then a few years later I tried to make a roll and write about pizza delivery, um, racing into the city to set up pizza delivery spots and then and then sell to the city. And then I made some maps of that, tested it, and nothing really came of any of that. And it wasn't until 2020 that i i started working on kelp and that was when i really i thought it was a good idea and i believed in it and i just cracked on and um three years later here we are
0: (laughs) now when you said you moved abroad where'd you move to brussels from
1: Uh, from the north of england so yeah i'm from just between between manchester and scotland um, at a little a little place called the Lake District, so beautiful part of England. Yeah, um, that's where I'm originally from.
0: And what, what brought you to uh, to Belgium?
1: Love um, my girlfriend, who is now my wife. Um, yeah. She had an internship set up. She um, we we'd sort of our relationship was just starting off, and it was going really well. And she had this internship set up, and so she she was moving, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take a I'll see what happens. I'll come with you and. Um, fortunately found work once I arrived and in teaching like you said at the beginning I'm a drama teacher I yeah. I found some work in the international schools here because Brussels is a, a very international hub there's NATO there's the EU Commission there's all these kind of international industries uh, based out of Brussels so lots of need for English speaking teachers in international schools and so I got work there and, and settled and that's coming up on 12 years ago 11 12 years ago now so been there a while been here wow. a while yeah
0: and you have quite the um like gaming group uh locally now that, and like was there anybody you're gaming with like in the UK before you came to uh, Belgium or was it really kind of when you came to Belgium was the start
1: yeah really when I came to the start I mean I think I owned a copy of Monopoly I remember playing I remember playing Scrabble as a kid with my grandfather yeah. and draft uh, checkers with my grandfather and card games and things like that but never played it regularly we would just do it if it was a rainy day or something and then we moved to Belgium and um and yeah, I found a, a lots of my friends play games. There's loads of my colleagues at school. There's a I have a mailing list with like 40, 50 people on it that want to play games whenever we can get together oh, wow. and organize. And I think yeah, especially that, that uh, we're quite close to Germany and um, Belgium's next door to Germany. And I think that influence of the kind of German hobby market from the grew the Euro game, Euro game tradition, I think that's really spread here and board games is is popular here and growing as as it is all around the world it's growing at a, at a rapid rate and everybody seems to want to play games everybody i talk to is like oh please invite me to a board game night yeah. i'd love to come along it's amazing so, that
0: uh i think it's it's kind of like an anti-trend right so as people are getting more focused inward and focus more on electronic devices and focus more on themselves and getting lost in their own world now you've got the anti-trend to that, right, which is people want to socialize again and getting out and meeting, you know, new people and and sitting down and having laughs and having fun and putting electronics aside and dealing with things that are very tactile. Um, it truly is something amazing to see. And um, I mean, locally, we've got meetup groups that we we have here in Canada, and uh, we recently started one in a little city I'm based out of, which is north of Toronto. For those of our listeners who know Canada. And, uh, we're only like three months in and we're almost getting close to capacity in the, the venue we go mm-hmm. to on that just because, and you talk to people, I say, what made you come out? And they're like, I just want to meet some people. Just want to get out and just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meet some faces, meet some friends and, and just have uh, kind of a relaxed, good time. And, and certainly I think board games does that. Um, is there a certain board game style or genre that you kind of lean into the most when you're playing as a, as a board game fan?
1: Um, I'm, I'm pretty much an omni-gamer. I've played Twilight Imperium 4th edition, 3rd edition a couple of times, but I also love Cockroach Poker and okay. Pass the Pigs and, um, everything sort of in between that. Um, I don't tend to skew heavy in, in Euro games, but I've played them and I, I'll enjoy sure. them. I said, but I think my wheelhouse, if you were ask me what my wheelhouse is, then it would be, um. It really is two-player, two-player, asympt- not necessarily asymmetric games, but two-player high interaction games. Uh, Android Netrunner, Hanamikoji, Mister um, Jack, like mind games, shenanigans. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and obviously that's that's le- that's bled into my designs as well. But really, that's my that's my wheelhouse. That's
0: Did it. you play a lot of like abstract or two-player games when you were a kid?
1: Um, no, well, I mean, drafts, checkers. I played a, a, yeah. like a fair bit with my granddad. Um, and we played a lot of kids games, just standard, um, standard fare. And um, I think the the biggest thing I remember playing like the most was card games was mm. playing, um, uh, was playing like, yeah, card games, take that card games. But with just a standard deck of cards, I remember I was yeah. sitting around at school Back when I was at school, we had we had. I remember having free periods and just playing. I've I've a playing ping pong with a rolled up piece of paper on a table and our hands, or or trying to climb around the room without touching the floor. That was a good one. And then yep. playing card games in the common room. Um,
0: when I was I a kid, our, our favorite game was throwing hot, Again, from Canada, so of course hockey cards, um, <laughs> but throwing hockey cards against the wall. And to see who could right. get the closest to the wall with with your hockey card, that was we played that for hours. And I remember yeah, when, do it.
1: you would do it all day, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, all day. You Just and, do it all day. And then we end up renovating uh, our, our our childhood home the, the the living room. And I remember pulling this uh, this carpet up, and we were putting in a wood floor. And I found a Gordie Howe retirement card tucked under the carpet, which again, those who are hockey fans, like it's just it's like what. like that's a valuable card right and i just found it sitting under uh under our carpet from when we were throwing cards against the wall so you know those memories are the things that stick with you i
1: guess right yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah and running around the forest i mean the amount of games i played but also i was designing like and i I think back and making rules and we would play out in the forest and play in manhunt we called it so but we'd have really complex draw systems and and i would i would um you know, I think back, like, it was often the case that friends would come to me and say, like, hey, what, how, what do, how do we play it again? Or, and I would just, I'd a recall the rules or I'd make them up. And um, I think, yeah, that I just have always loved, I've always loved play in whatever that might be, whether it's a board game or whether it's a big team game out in the woods. Um
0: so yeah. where did this idea of Kelp, where where did you come up with that idea? And and it's a two-parter because one was where did the idea come from? And I always like to ask this question, what came first, the mechanics or the theme?
1: Yeah. Um well it's really it was a really clear inception point for me, which was um conception point not inception point although it possibly was inception uh, um, yeah um watching um watching the Netflix documentary my octopus teacher okay um I don't know if if you've seen it James but it's really worth watching it's a it's a documentary about um an octopus that is there's a diver and he's filming this octopus every day for a year basically or it's life um and the documentary captures some incredible behavior where the octopus is being hunted by a pajama shark, which are the two, the two characters in the game, the two sides in the game. And it's cornered one day, it's got nowhere to go and it's in this exposed part of its, its habitat. And so it defends itself by rolling itself up into a ball of shells, like sticks the shells to its tentacles and makes this ball of armor around it. The octopus does and the shark's biting the shells, and it's confused, and it can smell the octopus inside. And finally, the octopus lets go of the shells, swims in the other direction, and the shark is left there feeling confused and a bit bit dumbfounded. And I saw that moment, and it was just so playful, so ludic, so clever. And it immediately just reminded me of of some of my favorite games of of the way of especially android netrunner which is one of my favorites that i play casually it reminded me of the way that the the players in that game are well the corporation in that game is kind of tricking their opponent and it's a hunter hunted situation dynamic and so you know it, it was a it was a sort of a combination of simultaneously theme and mechanism. Um, Because I started thinking about the way in which cards can be hidden and moved around and things like that, that ultimately became the blocks. But I'd say beyond that, it was the, it was the experience. You know, I, I was imagining that octopus feeling pretty tense and pretty under pressure, but also clever. And that's the way I feel when I'm playing as a co-op in Netrunner, I'm feeling like back against the wall. I've got a poker face and I've got a trick up my sleeve. And, I wanted to deliver that experience, but in a game that my wife will play or my, you know, yeah. my, my non-gamer friends will be willing to pick up and try. They ain't never going near um Android Netrunner, most of them. But um hopefully Kelp, they'll pick up and try. And so it's really about that experience of um tense feeling as you're playing the octopus, powerful feeling as you're playing the shark, and the dynamics of those two animals as they play out in this real life, real life encounter.
0: That's a cool way of kind of describing your process. It's because it, I'm I'm similar when I create games. Um, I'll often it's a theme that's first kind of with a general idea of what kind of game and experience am I looking for, without any more details than that. And then I start to kind of play in that sandbox and figure out okay, am to use this mechanic? Okay, this mechanic is not going to work. Or am I going to use this kind of mechanic? Okay, and and then I usually kind of land at something that I can eventually start play testing. But uh, I can't think of there's only one game I I've, I have in my portfolio, quite frankly, that start off mechanically. And then I'm like, okay, based on the mechanic, here's a theme I think I can wrap on that. As the exact opposite, when you talk to other designers, they're very much, they'll come up with kind of a mechanic and system that works, and then they'll put a theme on that. So it's kind of cool to hear both sides of it. Uh, and then a two-player mm-hmm. game, I mean, you know, I think the inspiration there of, you know, having, you know, your, your spouse being able to play a game with you, I think is is pretty cool. You know, we were saying just before we went on air, I feel bad. I got a colleague I have to call up and and apologize to him because I said, you know, Kickstarter is where two player games go to die. And I couldn't have been any more wrong. Like when I see this campaign, which I'm going to show on screen here for people watching live or on the replay. I mean, in Canadian dollars, because you know, I can see it. (laughs) $656,000. That is not a small campaign, my friend. That is huge. And uh Obviously a testament to uh, the game you've created. Visually, it looks good. I even and I, I can see even more on your page here than even I was able to see when I was at Essen. But I mean, it looks cool, right? When you see it on the table and you see the tiles that you you've you've got for the octopus and, and how they play and you know how they're hidden from the other player. It, it it's visually a great game. Um, but also mechanically, in all the reviews I've been I've been watching, everyone's saying the same thing that this is a well put together, very tight game experience. Um can you talk a little bit about how you um connected with uh, Wonderbow on as a publisher with this game?
1: Yeah, sure. Um well, I you know I, made, I came up with the idea in 2020. I I developed it for a couple of years and really really polished it and then um got some advice online from places like the board game design lab from break my game the discord these are kind of places where designers go to meet and share resources and information and i i learned about how you pitch a game and how you um put together a a sell sheet and the kind of types of of encounters the types of like pitches you might have you might have a minute you might have three minutes you might have 30 and being prepared for all of those so I kind of got all my ducks in a row and, and prepared myself with a sell sheet and a and I um and I bought a table at Essen in the proto zone so I paid hmm. a few few hundred euros to get a proto prototype zone table for for the 4 days in 2022 20, uh, last year so I went there I had my my two prototypes set up and I I demoed it and I got a few few bites from some publishers there actually but uh, they were looking for more family weight than perhaps Kelp is, or at least mm-hmm. was at that point. We've streamlined it a little bit now, but um, uh, and I I pitched to another publisher, and um, I was kind of out of options at that point, point. and so I took my shell my cell sheet one of the days. One of my friends took over the table, and I just walked around the con, looking at booths that seemed to, would be willing to produce my game and and looked yeah. like they might be interested in something in that market. And I was pretty clear of what my market was going to be as well. I knew it was going to be kind of gamer plus spouse um, or gamer plus non-gamer. um, And so I, yeah, I saw Wonder Bowl. They had a really interesting project and uh, with their previous game, Hunters of the Lost Creatures, and it it was clear that it had gone to Kickstarter. And I was, I kind of felt in my gut that, uh, kelp was going to do well on kickstarter and because of the component qualities and um i pitched it to them i just I well I, in fact i didn't pitch them i asked somebody at the table is anybody accepting pitches um and i can come back later if you want and they said well have you got anything to show us and i said yeah here's my sell sheet i gave it to them and uh and i did my kind of one minute elevator pitch and Zunka from the from wunderbow he just stopped what he was doing and listened. And it was a bit it was I think it was middle of the day on Friday or Saturday. It was mm. pretty busy at the table yeah. as this thing. But he just stopped and listened and I could see he was paying attention. He said, okay, tell me more. And I did. And and then they said, yeah, can we meet after hours and give it a try? And so I thought, okay, yeah, we're we've got a good chance here. So I stayed late that night and we played it in the in the hall after the kind of lights had gone off and um yeah it was pretty clear they were interested from the get-go and we made a handshake deal pretty quickly and hashed it out over the next few months and then the rest is history
0: that's amazing and that's kind of like the experience of the user too right which is you got to get them hooked right you got to get them to want to play it right and if you can get them to the stage where they're actually playing the game assuming your game's good I mean, then then this is the final details from there. But the hardest part is getting people to go from concept ideation through to, okay, now, uh, now I want to sit down and try to play this game. And I gave this advice to, I was at Breakout Con last year. And uh, there was a designer came up and was talking to me. And I said, look, you got to get a tighter in your pitch and look at the company you're pitching to. So one thing I think that you just said there, which is, I think, pretty smart, is you looked around at different companies that would probably seem like they'd be a good fit. Right, And what I wouldn't do for a designer who's pitching games is take a stack and just start pitching, like just hand it to everybody because there's going to be certain people that are never going to take your game in a million years. You're wasting your time and their time even pitching it. Look for the ones that seem like they'd be like a a fit. Like if you're an educational type game, for example, try to find a company that publishes educational games, right? That's a good place to start. Um, so you know the it sounds like doing your homework up front, I guess is uh, is kind of the key here, right And some of the advice you got from these different forums uh, seems like it's paid out for you in spades.
1: Yeah, and I would say, yeah, the advice in the forums really helped the playtests in the forums really helped and there's a good there's a good sort of habit in those groups that they they make you pitch it. Like they say, okay, you've got you know you've got to write the pitch, you've got to say the pitch every time you demo to a new group of people. You open with a pitch or you close with a pitch. Yeah, and and I think and also I, I I'd cut my teeth by that point. By the time I went to S and I'd already done a couple of cons, smaller ones in Belgium. Yeah, and I was at, I was at tables pitching it to people, and every time I pitched it, I tried to rehearse that. And I, I come from a drama background. I'm an actor and a drama teacher, and so rehearsing something and polishing it is. Yeah, I'm used to that. And, you know, it, I've got a little bit of a script in my head, but I also, I can go, I can deviate from that script if, if the circumstance is different. It's not just a, a rote thing every time, but you've got to get the words in your head and in your mouth. yeah. Um, So you can, you can get them out smoothly when you're feeling nervous. And I was certainly feeling nervous when I was there, but I I, I knew I believed in my product and I believed in what I got and I knew I'd practiced it enough that I could, I could find the words in that situation. So. Certainly, uh, too. I'd say advice, paying
0: attention to how the person is responding to your words is important too, right? Like if I'm in a con and I'm pitching, and I'm, I'm always pitching my stuff, right? It, whether it's a, a titles that we produced a couple of years ago and we're selling stock, or if it's something new. And often I'll go through kind of your first draft. Uh, I'd say of your elevator pitch, right? And this is like in drama, right? You rehearse, and you're going to refine the script as you go right? And if you see something that really gets somebody to lean in and they raise their eyebrows and it seems like they're really interested, okay, I'm going to make sure I speak more on that. If there's something I'm talking about and I see them kind of starting to look around, like they're getting bored of what I'm saying, well, I'm going to cut that. (laughs) I'm not going to repeat that on my next pitch, right? And try to refine that as you go. So I think being aware of the people that you're actually pitching to is such a key point. Um, so for those who don't know about kelp and first of all, great name, great name. Congrats on that. I mean, I love it. I did. It looks so good. Can you explain to people kind of the essence of what this game is about and, and, and how to play it uh, in, I guess, use descriptive language as possible?
1: For sure, yeah. Well, um, kelp, as you said, you know, we've, we've talked about it. It's a two-player asymmetric game, deeply asymmetric game. So that means for anybody that doesn't know, players are doing very different things on their turn. They use different components, and they have different ways to win the game. So the octopus player, their goals are to survive and just not get eaten, and that's a pretty clear goal for the octopus player. Um, outlive, outlast the shark is one way they can win the game. Or if they're brave enough, uh, they can try and shoot the moon uh, in a way and eat all of their food. They're obviously out there trying to survive as well. So they have a way that they can eat food, and I'll come back to that later. Um, And if they manage to do it all, eat all of the food, they can also win the game. The shark, meanwhile, simple goal for the shark is find and kill the octopus. Um, And so the mechanisms of the game is that the octopus is playing – They're. Predominantly, they're manipulating these mahjong-like blocks that are standing up on their on their um, standing up, basically. And on one side of the block, there are shells or uh, traps, or in one on the, in the case of one of the blocks, an octopus. And there's these nine blocks on the board, a little bit like Stratego. So, if anybody can imagine the game Stratego, where you can see what's on the blocks, but your opponent can't it's that but the octopus is the only one that can see where the octopus is hiding on these kind of mahjong stratego like blocks and they're playing cards a little bit of a deck building hand management game to manipulate the box on the board moving them around mixing them up trying to keep them away from the shark and trying to ultimately eat the food which is also on some of the blocks that get put into play but the octopus has a a, a a problem that every time they play a card they've got to reveal one or two or sometimes even three of their blocks to the shark so mm. they're playing this kind of um economy of information where they give give certain piece of information away and then they've got to hide the blocks and mix them up again and cast out and it's a little bit like the game the game in the street where you're betting on on uh, uh where a ball is hiding under a coconut tree like type uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, Exactly, yeah. Three coconuts, one of them's got a ball under, the the magician mixes them around and you've got to try and guess where it is. The octopus kind of doing that throughout the game is, is, you know, revealing themselves as an octopus and then mixing themselves up and disappearing. On the other side of the table, though, there's there's the shark. And the shark uh, is represented by a miniature, this gorgeous kind of sculpted mini that's in the game. And that's swimming around the board between these zones that the blocks are in. And it's using dice. It's a dice pool building game. Mm -hmm. So they roll dice. uh, They can use blue dice as water, their currents, to swim around the board faster and further and, and get to where they need to be. And then they use yellow dice and red dice to reveal and attack the octopus's blocks. So the shark, they're playing a... A little bit of a deduction game. There's not a lot of memory, but a little bit. Like you're kind of keeping track of two or three moving pieces, and oh, you've just revealed that trap and hidden it again. Okay, I'm going to keep track of that, and and then but maybe they get mixed up, and you're trying to work out where the octopus is, be in the right place at the right time to attack them. It's not over though. When the shark attacks, there's one last chance for the octopus to escape which is just uh, actually a true story as well from the, from the documentary. A little bit of a spoiler that in the documentary earlier on, the octopus does get uh, caught by the shark, actually. And it is so, the way that it gets out of the situation is so clever. It sticks its arms inside the gills of the shark and suffocates it. So the shark can't breathe, lets go of it, and it just swims off and carries on its life. And so that oh, wow. moment simulated in the games by this, in, in Kelp, by this, final confrontation it's called where each car co- each player tries to the octopus plays um an escape strategy and the shark tries to counter it if the octopus escapes the they can't do it again the next time so their chances get get slimmer and it, and if the shark reads the reads the situation correctly they're going to catch him and games over that's amazing.
0: It almost reminds me of that uh the cartoon illustration of the frog being eaten by the pelican and he's got his arms outside uh choking the uh his hands around the <laughs> pelican's neck and it says never give up. Yeah. Man, oh man. I didn't I just learned something. I don't, I have to watch this documentary now. This sounds amazing. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, so, for sure. In fact, the um the final confrontation there are three cards. Uh, one is fight, which yep. is that um which is the the suffocate the shark. A true true thing. One is um flight. Which is the octopus uses a cloud of ink, another true kind of escape mechanism. They push a cloud of spit, cloud of ink and disappear. And then the third way that they can escape is just by losing one of their limbs. They just lose an arm and then regrow it over the next few weeks. And that's flinch. And so they they are really three genuine ways that octopuses escape from sharks. And um, that's that's in the game those those three cards.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So, you know, obviously this this campaign's doing incredible and uh, I, I'm sure you're happy with with where, I mean, for those who are listening, they're already at uh, 6,747 backers, which is a, a massive number, still 20 days to go. So, I mean, this isn't even the end of your campaign. This is like the beginning of your campaign. Uh, I can't even imagine where this thing's going to end up, but at least in Canadian dollars, it's it's probably going to inch and around the million dollar mark. So again, kudos to you for uh, on just the success of this campaign. Where do you go from here? Like when you, when you have a campaign and a success this big, is there other designs you've already been working on or are you going to get into self-publishing or like how have you kind of mapped that out? Like what's, what's the plan for you?
1: sure um for me it's just continue to make games that I love um yeah. that was my goal with kelp I I don't have an interest in publishing myself or I didn't I had no interest in Kickstarting kelp myself I knew I wanted somebody else to publish it for me and Wonderbo like you said have done a, just an incredible job from from the art to the manufacturing to everything they're lovely people so I'm gonna continue just making games most of my designs right now are, nature themed Mm. um i've got a game about a fox and a badger that live and hunt together which is true story in nature and it's a little bit of a cooperative semi-cooperative um uh don't wake daddy kind of situation where the fox is trying to not get eaten by the badger um i'm working on that i'm working on a another another game maybe two to four uh, player version of of Kelp with a kind of that system um, at its core, and to try and include a few more players. So we're working on that. I'm working on that with a co-designer, friend of mine. Um, and yeah, just keep keep making games that I love, at least, and and we'll see see what happens. I I really I really don't know. This has surprised me as much as anybody else. Um, you know, I knew that the project looked good and and I believed in it, but I I didn't. You know, I remember saying to a friend th- th- at some point, I think it'll probably sell 5000 copies in its lifetime. Like that that would be I'd be really happy with that. And yeah. <laughs> we hit that and in- we hit that in three or four days. So, um, yeah, it's been really exciting and I'm just excited to see what happens next.
0: Oh, man, that's incredible. Well, certainly I hope you enjoy the ride, my friend and uh i want to get you back on this podcast when you have the next game because i mean if, if if it's any if this game's any indication of where you're headed i'm sure you're gonna have a long career in game design uh i want to wish you all the best Thank i can't you. wait to see where this ends i'll be keeping an eye out for it for those who want to check out this campaign it's kelp with a k you can look it up on kickstarter i will put a link in the show notes carl all the best my friend hopefully we'll see you at s next year
1: thanks take care take care cheers
0: This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel board game binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.